Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler and Sawaski talking money and investing, financial planning, retirement planning, understanding more about investing because if you don't understand it, you'll be dealing with some firm, working with some firm that understands it or somebody that understands it better than you and you are just subject to whatever they tell you. And quite frankly, many times it's not necessarily in your best interest because even some of these rules out there, you know, saying best interest and, and fiduciary rule, hang on, just I see people bending the rules in that area. And I see companies saying that we are this and we're supposed to be mm -hmm. subject to these rules and they're not doing uh, because it's it's interesting, even though, uh, and as you read the, the prudent investor rule, mm -hmm which was the, the third restatement that was done by uh, American Law Institute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the gold standard for lawyers mm -hmm. and, with regard to... Uh, and what's interesting is even in that, you know, if you read it, it tells you, says, you know, that this, that they're, they're faced with potent evidence mm -hmm. that these efforts efforts are futile mm -hmm. to try to do the things that we've been talking about on this show forever that you shouldn't be mm -hmm. doing stock picking market timing tactical asset allocation use of past performance they say there's potent evidence that this isn't good but mm -hmm. they don't come out and say you absolutely can't do it right which mm -hmm. i think is so interesting yeah. when you actually re read the ruling it doesn't mm -hmm. say it's you can do it you know just because the speed limit sign says you know, a certain thing doesn't mean that people don't get away with running faster, but that's not even, it's not even it. It's just literally, it's, it's like, you know, a suggestion. You know, don't yeah, try it this. Is. Well, it is. Those restatements are, they're the standard legal view, mm -hmm. but they are really a suggestion. <laughs> so hence, you got to be very, very careful. Yeah. And that's why I think education is such an important thing. And that's why this show exists for that particular reason. So Anne, I know you've got some more stuff there. I'll let you uh, let you run with it. You had, uh, I forgot what you said you were talking about, something to do with clients, uh, how they come up with retirement uh, yeah, benchmark I, or where goals or where they want to go. Is that, was that it? Yeah. I, boy, I thought this was interesting because it's really gets you thinking. Um, participants wing retirement savings goals. Mm. There was a study by a company called Escalant, mm -hmm. and they found that 40% of participants, now this survey, by the way, I should say, they surveyed 4,000 uh, participants in a 401k plan. Mm-hmm that are actively contributing or have at least and or have at least $5,000 in a former plan. So these are people that are using retirement plans, employment or, or employer retirement plans. And um, the survey found 40% of participants admit to judging their retirement savings off the top of their head. 
That it reminds me so much of the, you know, the idea that if you don't have a goal or you don't know mm-hmm. where you're going, any road will get you there. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's just literally go, where do I want to go? I want to go. I don't care. Uh, then you get on the road and you <laughs> yeah. start driving and, yeah. and you end up, you know, where you didn't intend. Yeah. But you don't know until, you know, you get there and go, wait a minute, I want to go to I thought I was going to California. Yeah, I thought I was going to California. Yeah, or even worse, you know, I'm in like yeah. um, New York. New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so forty percent. Yeah, just judge it off the top of their head. And, uh, and, and it's like being a rudderless, uh, rudderless ship. You know, it's right. just like I have nothing, no guidance. I don't know how much I should have, and that's something that, that you know, that, that's something that can be known. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, 40% just do that. 30% utilize online calculators. So a lot of these 401ks will have some sort of calculator or oh, you I've can got, Google I got, it. I've got a funny calculator story. So, oh, okay. so who, who does our 401k? There's, we have, mm-hmm. you have, anytime you have a 401k, you have a record keeper. Yes. And that is a company that mm-hmm. actually... It used to be that if you wanted to keep your costs down for record keeping, you would only have your account value told you once a year, which is actually pretty good. I mean, you're not sitting there watching it all year long and going, it went down and, you know, get out. It went up, get in, it went down, get out. You know, it doesn't, it it takes away some of the, some of that emotion. Yeah, the temptation to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, and what happened was that uh, then they made it so that it had to be done quarterly. And once it had to be done quarterly, the cost of third party administration, record keeping, record keeping really in this particular case went way up. And I was, I remember, you know, this was in the early days of the company. I was going, oh man, I can't believe they're doing this to us. You got to do it. And then what happened is computer technology started to catch up, which was, yes, beautiful. Then you could get daily valuation and it cost hardly anything. And that was a really beautiful thing. So then the cost of record keeping, you know, went way down. But what they did is they said, hey, let's actually set up record keeping. And what we're going to do is we're going to have projections that we put on your statement. And and those of you out there with 401k plans, you probably have this stuff. Oh, yeah. Where they tell you how much income you're going to get in retirement. I'm increasingly seeing this now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got my statement re- recently. Oh, <laughs> and, okay. Uh, and it told me how much income I was going to get off the portfolio. And I'm not going to say whether the number was high or low. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you it was way the heck off. It was way off that on what I mm-hmm. knew I would likely get based on academic research on the portfolio design I was using. It mm-hmm. was way off. Well, yeah. And, 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 that's the and they're, they're always ba- I mean, my husband gets those, too. He has a 401k and mm-hmm. we get those all the time. And I just laugh at them because they're, they're so silly mm-hmm. because they don't factor in anything else they don't factor in any other assets you have they don't factor in social security they don't factor in anything and and so i just go this is just totally meaningless you know and, but, and they don't uh, they don't get into a measurement of risk no you know so no I, and why is that important so let's let's talk a little bit why risk is important and knowing your risk number is so important because a lot of people we don't talk about that because it's complicated but i want you to imagine something I want you to imagine you're investing and the time that you are investing is 1972 or 73 uh, and through the, the 1980s, let's say. So, so let's walk through history. What happened? 
markets went way down in 1973, 74. You had the oil crisis, something bad happened. Then all of a sudden markets went way up. Then you have the period of time of the 1990s where markets went way up and then at the tail end 2000 2001 2002 they went way down now if you look at these two periods of time i don't remember the exact numbers i actually looked at this one day i was looking at the exact numbers and i was again what the accumulation of one dollar or a hundred thousand dollars let's say let's just mm -hmm. use that would have been in both time periods mm -hmm. the ending value was exactly the same in the two periods of time that i had looked at then what I did is, is, okay, so if I'm putting in a lump sum amount of money, I'm indifferent between these two time periods, whether the market goes down and then comes up or whether the market goes up and then comes down. Right. And I came, that's where I came up with my mm -hmm. clamshell, as mm -hmm. people call it, my mm -hmm. clamshell presentation, where you mm -hmm. have this thing that looks like one, one curve goes up and then comes down, and the bottom curve, which is, I, I put it underneath it, goes down and then comes back up. And... Uh, what happened is I made that point that, hey, you end up, you're indifferent. Mm -hmm. But if you are putting money away on a regular basis, you're putting in $10,000 per year mm -hmm. each year, and you do it over a 10-year period, let's say, just, you mm -hmm. know, so it's the same $100,000. In the first scenario, you keep paying a higher and higher and higher and higher price because the market mm -hmm. kept going up. And then when you have the most amount of money, it drops mm -hmm. just before retirement. And that happened to a lot of people. The second scenario is where it goes down, 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 and you're buying more and more and more and more shares. And then at the tail end, it goes up. And you end up with, you know, what I showed was you had like twice as much money in that scenario where the market went down first and then went up versus it went up and then went down. Well, what happens is in these little calculators, they don't do any of that type of work. You know, it's just like, here's how much money you're going to have. And they use typically what they use is what's called the linear method mm -hmm. of doing it. So it's what if you have an 8% return followed by an 8, followed by 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. number that they use. And then you go, that's how much money you're going to have. Now, mm -hmm. so what happens, you don't really know. And then you're not taking into account how your asset allocation should change as typically as you get older. Your right. asset allocation should typically change and you're going to start to move a little bit more most of the time toward a little bit more bonds and, and fixed income in the portfolio. So you miss that. Then uh, I, when I looked at the number on what they said the accumulation would be, and then I, you know, I looked at what income they said I would get off of it, and that was way off mm -hmm. and because it wasn't using the academic research. It was using an annuitization is the oh, best I could tell. Wow, that's a big difference. If you actually, oh. yeah, yeah, so it was, yeah. in, and I thought, whoa, wait a minute, they're oh. assuming I'm going to do something using a product that almost nobody ever uses mm -hmm. to get income in retirement because once they find out what it is, they don't like it. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's it really kind of fascinating how that happens. But, you know, you're winging it. And here's what goes on when you're winging it. You don't know what you're shooting for, but here's what you wanted. I want you to come away with something here. So typically what I'm looking at are what are the sources of income in retirement for people? And what, you know, it's like, what, what are the things that people, you know, where are oh, they going to get income social in Social security, pensions, 401ks. Mm -hmm. Savings, yeah. savings, yeah. general yeah. savings. Mm -hmm. Maybe they uh, sell their house and maybe they, Sometimes, they, they yeah. will go mm -hmm. in and actually move to a lower right. cost house. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm meeting with you know somebody this week and that's exactly mm -hmm. what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So you have all these different sources of income. And, and like you said, this is not taking into account those other mm -hmm. sources. No. 
you know, when, it, when you get down to it. So you end up not knowing really if this is going to work out or not. So I think it's not, not terribly helpful. But what happens is this, is that with these numbers, you're not necessarily looking at life expectancy. When are you going to retire? Are you going to retire at 62? Well, you're going to have a very different life expectancy. Uh, and in, incidentally, if you look at the typical age for retirement, it's like four years earlier than most people plan on retiring. If you look at the data and the statistics on this. So what happens is with these projections and, you know, you go, now I'm going to take my social security. What am I likely? And this is the beauty of it. If you go to SSA.gov, you go to the government website on this, what they're going to do is they're going to give you a projection of your social security. And what they're going to do is they're going to say, Hey, this is likely to be your benefit based on what? based on your past working history and the assumption that your income is going to be about the same with some growth into the future as what it is right now. If that scenario is not accurate, if your income is likely to drop or it's likely to go up, you would want to actually plug in what the likely numbers are going to be rather than what they're just spitting out. So recognize that. But here's the good thing about the social security projections. It is based on today's dollars. And and, and if the number is accurate that they're putting in there on what your income is likely to be, what will happen is you will come out with a number on Social Security that says, okay, here is what your income is going to be. But you can think of it as if you were getting that level of income right now. You can think of it in today's dollars. Instead of, hey, your benefit's going to be $3,000 and you're sitting there going, oh man, um, $3,000 is going to have like the purchasing power of $1,000 in the future, you know, so you're, you're going like that. And so hence what happens is you can think of it in today's thought. Now that can be the base of your financial plan in retirement, that social security. And I think we often think of it in RACP, uh, that designation that, mm-hmm. and that you and I both have, they talk a lot about social security as a fixed income part mm-hmm. of a portfolio and it can be a proxy yeah. for fixed income mm-hmm. right and that's still the way they uh, they still do that right because I, I just got a little bit earlier than you but that was it right yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah so um hence what you do is you say that's my base and let's say if i've got a pension then you got to look at your pension and say if you've got a pension does it have a cola if it have cost a, of living cost of, yeah if it has yeah. cost if it has an inflation uh, adjustment part mm-hmm. to it, then what happens is then you can be a little bit more, uh, you don't have to think about taking as much income out of your investment portfolio in the future because you're not going to have to make up for the lack of inflation adjustment. So you take those two numbers, you put them together and you look at spousal social security benefits. If you're, if you're married or if they have their own spousal, or if the, the spouse has their own income history and you, you look at them both together then you look at possible inheritances. Uh, that mm-hmm. can be something that you look at in the future and say, ah, you know, I, I love for mom and dad to live forever, but you know, no, nobody's done it yet. <laughs> you know, so hence there there be a likely inheritance. And then you get you look at some people go, I don't want to count on that. And I totally get that because they're mm-hmm. going, you know, it could be a long term care stay. Yeah, I, I honestly tell people not to count on that. And uh, yeah, and you could have a long term, you could end up with a situation where they spend down a lot of the, the wealth. And right. I, I've had that with family members. Not to mention, your parents do not have to give you the money. <laughs> I mean, they they can True. choose but Warren at Buffett any is, time. But Warren Buffett is setting up his kids pretty yeah. well, regardless, <laughs> even if he's not getting them. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I know, but I mean, no. I see all the time that, mm-hmm. 
you know, there'll be some dispute and they leave someone out of the will. So, true. so I mean, so I, true. I wouldn't assume. To- totally, I always I've say, totally you know what, that. if you get that, that's I saw gravy. That, I, saw that, I saw that this week. As yeah. a matter of fact, I did yeah. see that this week. Not, yeah. with, not with a client, by yeah. the way. Uh, it was somebody I was talking to totally outside of the state. So, you know, it was, uh, so don't think I'm talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it was, uh, yeah, it, I actually saw that where one child mm-hmm. was not necessarily playing along. Yeah. And because... Um, mm-hmm person wasn't happy with spouse and you know right. that, that was a situation but yeah. that can be the case so you take a look at that and you go okay so that those are a couple things then you look at the investment portfolio and you go okay so at what age is the person going to retire so how long is it gonna, you know so what percentage of the portfolio can i take out every year mm-hmm. and have that be a a safe or a uh or or, or with and it's called safe, safe withdrawal, withdrawal rate, safe withdrawal rate yeah. is, is what bengen called it yeah um the guy that did the research on it. And you look at that and you look at now you apply standard deviation numbers to that, the risk ups and downs and how volatile the portfolio might be and look at different asset mixes. But that's how you come up with it. So if you have one of those 401ks that is projecting that for you, recognize that's my main point is that, you know, you just can't rely on that number because it just misses way too many things. Yeah, and uh, the other thing I thought was interesting is um, it says here, many participants doubt their future ability to convert their retirement savings to real income. They don't grasp Mm. how much money is required to live comfortably in retirement. Mm -hmm. So, so, and and I find this all the time when I talk to people. Mm -hmm. I just talked to someone the other day and they didn't know that when one spouse dies, you're going to lose that social security, the lower oh, of the two. Yeah, sure, yeah. That's and they were totally shocked. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And, and, so, and so I see people, you know, they, they hear the 4% rule. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the 4% rule is how much can you take historically mm-hmm. out of a portfolio without, you know, and if over a 30-year, any 30-year period throughout of all history, and you hear this 4%, mm-hmm. and they go, well, if I got a million dollars, that's $40,000 a year, and then it increases for inflation every year, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then they hear that from the financial advisor. And then I look at the portfolio and go, this portfolio is not designed the way that study said you had to design the portfolio to get mm-hmm. that level of income. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got to be really, really conscious about that. You may not have a portfolio that's designed mm-hmm. to deliver the income at the 4% rule. So, and if you look at the study, how was that designed? You know, was they were, they were not, there was no spit and stock picking. There was no market timing. There's no tactical asset allocation. There was no style drift in, mm-hmm. in the portfolio mixes they put it together. Uh, and then, you know, what they had is a lot of different asset categories, especially Bengen's later research where he started adding value and small value and international large and international small and so on and so forth. You know, so you got to be really conscious about not having a number. But if you do these things and you're going, how much income am I likely to have? Knowing the asset mix, here's the beauty of it. And this is knowable. I think it's really just good that you that you know that this is something you can, you can with some degree of confidence know. You have to always say some degree of confidence because there could be some calamity that befalls the earth that has never happened before. Mm-hmm. You know, worldwide nuclear war or you know or you know Armageddon or whatever that it overtakes that makes takes all bets off the table. Mm-hmm. You know, and nothing will work no matter what. Or you could mm-hmm. have, you know, let's say that all of a sudden property rights are lost or, you know, whatever total property rights are lost all around the world. Uh, so, you know, so I always say this with pay attention. you got to make sure that you understand what the 
assumptions are in coming up with that asset mix and what the possible income might be in the future. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything that we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing, and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, so when we invest, lots of different things that we might be thinking about investing in. Some people, big on real estate, and it's a job. You know, real estate is a job. And it's, you know, one of those jobs that some people love, some people don't necessarily love so much. Uh, but, you know, that's a job. But it is, can, it can be an investment. But, you know, technically, when we put together portfolios, we don't hold real estate in portfolios because when I own stocks, I own companies that own lots of real estate, already have lots of exposure to it. But that would be one thing. You look at stocks, you look at real estate. You know, people say, gold, I invest in gold. I'm like, it's not an investment, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gold just goes up and down in value based on supply and demand. And you hear all this stuff. I, I saw an ad for gold this week and it was just like, hey, you know, this is a great hedge against inflation. It's a horrible hedge against inflation has not been a good hedge against inflation historically. Some of the worst inflation we ever had, gold had the worst performance. So it's just really the opposite many times. But you know, it sounds good. It sounds, it sounds, uh, or, you know, people ask me a cryptocurrency, Paul, is that a good investment? No, that's not an investment either. There's no cost of capital. It goes up and down in value based on supply and demand. So then you got, you got stocks and you have different types of stocks, large, small, large value, all these different areas and different asset classes. Then you got bonds. That's another asset category that you would look at in an investment portfolio and you say, well, as I get older, I heard I should hold more bonds. And sometimes, yes, that is very much the case that you might hold more to provide stability against market downturns, stock market downturns in particular, and you know, holding types of bonds. But not all bonds are created equal. And no, and that's what we are gonna talk about today is, um, here's an article, long treasury ETF plunges record 48% as market meltdown worsens. So 48%. Uh, 48%. So this is, um, and I'm just going to pick on this particular fund, but you know what? This is going to apply. It's not just this fund. Mm -hmm. This is the the type of bond mm -hmm. that we're talking about here, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So um, they said the iShares 20 plus year treasury bond ETF. Mm -hmm. So this is an ETF that's investing in 20 plus year duration bonds. So these will typically be uh, either very long-term government or corporate bonds, but they're very often real estate you know, mortgages and different mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. you know, to mm -hmm. go out that far. 
but um, and it's all about interest rates. Mm-hmm. So the longer the duration or the the holding period of the bond, so in, this in one gen, twenty gen, plus duration is the measure of interest rate risk, is what Ann's talking about right yeah. there. So if you have a duration of 20 and interest rates go up 1%, your bond goes down 20%. Yes. yes. Uh, if you got a down interest rate decline of 2 or interest rate increase, excuse me, of 2%, then you have 20 times 2 or 40%. So that's basically what that is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So here's the thing. This particular fund um, has dropped mm-hmm. 10% this year already. And that follows a 33% plunge last year and a 6% drop in 2021. And and again, other long-duration funds have also suffered. The Vanguard Extended Duration Treasury ETF down 14% this year. Tell me it's not so that a fund (laughs) company that you always hear about has a fund that people could invest in that did that. No, that's not possible. PIMCO uh, off by 15%. Oh my goodness, that is a fun company. I hadn't heard Mm. that, but that was like when I opened up this company in the first probably 10 years of operation, I heard that name constantly and Mm -hmm. I would warn people, I would warn them, I'd warn them and go, you know, look at what they're doing. Look what they're doing. Yeah, so here's the thing. So I just decided, uh, well, just just I guess as a starting point, mm-hmm. um, our portfolios don't have these. Right. Period. Right. We never invest in these long term. It has long-term. always been the philosophy that we don't, we bonds are there for safety. Right. So I always tell people we are in very conservative short-term bonds, short to medium term, mm-hmm. because that is your insurance policy mm-hmm. when the market drops. Mm-hmm. Typically, those will move the opposite direction or at least hold okay. steady. Funny story time. Huh. Fun story time. Yes. I don't know if it's funny, but it's fun. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I was doing a TV show um, 15, 15 years ago, 14, 15, 14 years, maybe not that long. It was, it's been a long time. Uh, so back then, I had actually talked about this, and I said, this can happen. And what I did is I gave the example. I said, you know, there are a lot of older people that are very, very much into bonds and what they use as their premise of why this is such a good thing is 30 years of history is what they were using. And this is what I was pointing out on the TV show. I said, because if you look at 30 years of history, and it was interesting, I was looking at these very bonds, Mm -hmm. Anne, that you're talking about. Mm And I said, if you go back 30 years, the rate of return was only about 1% or 2% below the stock market. Mm-hmm. So if you look at yeah. that return, you go, wow, that is an incredible, and, and if track record, I mean, good grief, Paul, yeah, you tell me not to look at three, five, and 10-year track record, but gee, look at this. We got 30 years of data, and it may not have been one, but it was probably two, maybe two and a half, three, maybe it was somewhere. I can't remember yeah. exactly the numbers. It's been a while. I've slept since then. But <laughs> um, but but if you look at that, it was a huge difference uh, you know, you know, it was it wasn't a huge difference, excuse me, in the rate of return between stocks and these long bonds. So one of the things I said is I said, you have an entire generation of investors that have never seen a major debacle 
in the bond markets. And why is that? Because what if you look at interest rate history from the 1980s till when I did that TV show, it was very high interest rates going down, 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 yep. down, down, yep. down, 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 down. Right. And what we know about bonds is when interest rates decline, especially long bonds tend to go up in value. So I made the point that not only were interest rates higher, but also because of the declining interest mm. rate atmosphere, you actually had a very good looking chart or a good looking return history on those bonds. And I mm -hmm. said, mark my words, this can happen. And I said, I am not a market timer. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen, but I'm going to tell you it can happen. And this is fascinating to me because it finally happened. And <laughs> and Eugene Fama, who's, you know, Nobel Prize winner mm -hmm. in investments, said uh, 65 years is really about the bare minimum you would consider <laughs> so for um, so a statistically <laughs> significant track record. So, so the fund managers are dead or retired by the yeah, time exactly. you know whether it was skill or yeah. luck. Yeah. But anyway, so here I thought this article was interesting. First of all, we don't get into those, but I compared them. I, I decided to look up this fund. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And when I look up this fund, it has a standard deviation. That's your risk measure. Of 14. Wow. Now. Okay, so that means nothing to you folks right, out there. Right, so we need to explain that. But but the Paul will explain that in a minute. Yeah. But the reason it's significant is it's virtually the same as investing in the S&P 500 <sighs> fund by the same. Over the same period. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's unreal. So, so what that means is let's say if I have an expected return of 10. Uh, and I have a standard deviation of 14, then if I want to guess what my returns will be over the next calendar year, if I guess 10 plus or minus 14, I got a 68% shot of winning that bet. So, you know, 10 plus 14, you know, 24, 10 minus 14, negative four, 68% of my returns historically would fall between those two numbers. But I've got to go two times that 14 if I want to get 95% confidence. So I take two times 14, now we got 28, 10 plus 28. I could have a risk of a 38% return. Right. Right. Or negative 28 on the other side because I got to go the 10 minus, uh, or no, I said, what did I say? 24? Uh, I, I you forgot the number. You said uh, so 24, 10, negative 14. Yeah. yeah negative right. 14. Okay. Yeah. So you, know, you look at that and go, whoa, that is a huge difference in range of returns between. You know, just looking at that as, you know, when I, as an investment, how much it can go. Well, now if you go out 99% confidence level, which is basically what we ran into, now you got the three times the 14. Mm -hmm. Now you got, you know, 42, you know, 10 minus the 42. And it sounds like it was even outside of that confidence level with this one. That's a, uh, yes. that, that, that was a short run. That was a short range. And it sounds like they were, you know, if you look at even longer range standard deviation, because typically Morningstar <laughs> looks at a short period of standard standard deviation range. Yeah. And, and in this case, I think this was over 10 years, yeah, but that makes sense. But um, the maximum down draft on this or, you know, down period, it was 41.79% down. Yeah. So that's, that's way, that's outside of the three standard deviations. Yeah. And mm -hmm. here's the thing that's for people that are thinking they're investing in something conservative. Yeah. That, that's now, what we call a tail risk. So now you look at uh, short term treasuries 
and one to three and three to seven, which are what we are in. Mm-hmm. If I looked at the period, just because this was the longest I could find on Morningstar that had all of them. Mm-hmm. And from 2007 to now, mm-hmm. that 20 year fund, mm-hmm. that 20 year bond fund mm-hmm. returned 1.86%. <laughs> yeah, that's pathetically so, low, right? Right. Pathetically low. 1.86% for the same risk as the S&P 500, which over that period returned 202%. So, I mean, why would you ever want to take that kind of risk? Right, exactly. Risk 2%. return trade-off is pretty pathetic. Right. And if you look at the three to seven year fund, it returned 13% over that period. And yeah, that's short terms, the, 1.28. And it's because, the, three, it's you know. because of the shape of the yield curve over that time. Yeah. So and that, yeah. that may be a little bit beyond what we're talking about right now. But that is a big difference. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.